0: Welcome to City Speak with Max Farkas. Something catches your eye on the dash of your car, and you are greeted by that dreaded yellow light telling you you're now running on your reserve tank. It's time to gas up. You pop open Google Maps, type gas station into the search bar, and voila! A cluster of red fuel pump icons appear in your immediate vicinity. Gas stations have been an integral part of the urban fabric of many American cities for generations. But as automobile transportation goes increasingly electric, we are left to wonder, what will become of all those gas stations? Jan Krimsky, a principal at global architecture firm Perkins and Will, recently spearheaded a symposium among architects, planners and policymakers to answer just that question. Tune in as Jan gives us a street-level tour of the gas stations of the future. Season three of CitySpeak is proudly sponsored by Batoni Architects. Batoni Architects is a full-service architectural
1: and interior design practice predicated on the notion that architecture is both an artistic and social endeavor that has the potential to enhance the way we experience the world around us. You can
0: explore their projects at batoniarchitects.com. Jan Krimsky, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: So before we dive into the main subject of uh, today's episode, I first want to spend just a moment to learn a little about you. You came to L.A. by way of Odessa. Is that right?
1: That's right. In uh, 1979, my family is part of a big wave of Russian Jewish immigrants that came to Los Angeles through an amnesty program that was reuniting families after uh, world War II. So I came here when I was three and a half years old. For all intents and purposes, I'm an LA native, uh, but I can't say it was, uh, you know, my, the first place I lived or uh, my my first language either. Um, I'm terrible at Russian, but there's still that bit of kind of outsider influence that, you know, c- comes from my family. And, and that, that perspective has always been kind of an interesting part of my background.
0: And tell us more about your journey to the world of LA architecture.
1: It was kind of a roundabout journey in in, in some ways. Uh, I was really interested in arts and uh, in in school, um, and I think that uh, my grandfather, who I'd never met, was uh, actually my namesake. was an engineer in Russia, and so I'd mentioned you know kind of passing interest in architecture. And, you know, made my mom so happy. And so uh, I ended up giving it a shot in, uh, in undergrad at USC. And it's just something that uh, took over my life.
0: Well, let's now turn to the main topic for, for today. And I'd like to start our conversation just by asking, how did the discussion around repurposing gas stations take shape?
1: Well, it was really about a symposium that was organized by Christopher Hawthorne. Uh, from the mayor's office, Uh, and what what Christopher wanted to do was to get us to talk around this topic because of of Governor Reese's announcement that by 2035, all vehicles in California will be zero emissions. So that sort of of prompts this conversation is, okay, in 2035, it's not that you won't have gas vehicles, but all vehicles sold in in California will be um, zero emissions, electric or other. And so how does that change our landscape? And, and so what, what Christopher uh, Hawthorne's done uh, is really create an occasion, an event, where academics, designers, people like like Lacey, the like things like an incubator all come together to really talk about this topic of LA's future uh, around mobility and this opportunity to really change, you know, very fabric of Los Angeles because gas stations, 550 gas stations in LA city proper, that's a, that's a major difference in, in what Los Angeles could look like.
0: And I know you spent quite a bit of time during the symposium, thinking through the history, how the cars are so interwoven into the urban fabric. What is your kind of prognostication about our ability to disentangle the urban environment uh, from our car culture?
1: You know, I, I actually think it's it's really inevitable that it's going to be probably a longer transition in Los Angeles than anywhere else because LA as a city is is young and really designed around automotive optimism. And I, I was I was about to say convenience, but I think the word is optimism. I think that there was a, a spirit that captured people's imagination in terms of being able to control your destiny, really get anytime you wanted to be able to get into your car and to get from place to place uh, very very quickly and conveniently I think that's that's kind of part of LA's LA's draw at least it's it's contemporary draw. I think before that there's other stories about Los Angeles as being a place for health seekers and um, so so because of that and because that happened right when um, the automotive industry was really at its, at its peak, our city has been designed around automotive uh, transit as our, as our major method of, of getting around. It'll take us a little bit longer, but it, it is inevitable because you know, you're know you going to have better options. We already know where ultimately car culture gets us, which is gridlock. And um, everyone's had the experience of driving in Los Angeles and seeing just the, the nicest person you can imagine Freaking out because everyone's got a little bit of road rage in LA. Um, so, so the dream has has sort of shown us what what it really is to for everyone to drive an automobile, and it's not a dream at all. I think everyone's looking for the next thing. Um, so, I, I see it. I see it happening. And it's just a matter of how quickly it happens, and that's where I think this symposium was so key because it gives us this moment to again be optimistic to imagine uh, a future where we can reclaim big chunks of our city for pedestrian uh, and green space.
0: So talk to us now about how you would analyze the development potential of these gas station sites, because they're a really unique uh, piece of the urban environment. I'd imagine, just for example, that there is a significant deal of, of environmental remediation that would need to take place, no matter what kind of use would theoretically be, be planned for each individual station. So what are some of these risks that would need to be addressed in order to make gas stations simply into usable property, much less some of the more imaginative uses you had discussed in the symposium and that we'll get into shortly?
1: Well, remediation is a big one. I think that that's the that's the major one. It might take a long time. I'm familiar with a number of gas station sites personally where I've just seen a fence around those sites and they're in pretty prime real estate areas where they haven't been developed. So not all of these are, as you say, prime for development, ready to go, and, and people aren't going to jump at them instantaneously. I think uh, we'll get better at remedi- remediation And I think we'll establish relationships between owners, gas companies, the industry knows how to remediate these sites pretty successfully. And I I think it's just a matter of getting people comfortable with the fact that it can be done and and just factoring that cost into their performer for whatever future development is going to happen on these sites. Now, not all these sites will really pencil out. I think in Los Angeles, we're actually uh, better. We have very, very high real estate values here. And so there's going to be a lot of incentive for people to remediate and then develop the sites. There are other examples uh, really around the globe. Canada, for example, has had a major reduction in gas stations. And there are plenty of sites that are are vacant because there's no interest in the risk and cost of remediation. Um, And so there's a little bit of concern there. I mean, obviously, out of 550 gas station sites, they're not all going to be on prime real estate. And there's going to be a point where that it just won't be an appealing uh, real estate investment. So I think that those are the kind of key key things that people will look at.
0: So now to delve into the ideas that were discussed in, in the symposium, I understand that there were kind of four principal categories of potential uses that Perkins and Will and the participants in the symposium brought to the table. These four were urban reforestation, Social infrastructure, street reclamation, and housing. Let's start with the first. What is urban reforestation and, and how would gas stations support that goal?
1: So, so on aggregate, um, if you put all of the acreage together for these gas stations, which we did, I'm um, looking for the statistic actually where I have that, that number, um, it doesn't amount to a whole lot of park space, to tell you the truth. We were sort of disappointed, like, oh, you know, that, that's actually not even uh, remotely close to some of our, you know, all of them together wouldn't be as big as our largest parks in LA. So in terms of uh, sheer real estate, it's not it's not a significant amount. But what it is, is that it's the distribution in the network. And that's really where uh, LA differentiates itself from other places in, in the world. So um, when we talk about urban reforestation, there's a number of things that we proposed. I think um, orange groves, uh, which could double as you know places where food trucks could uh, could park, and you could have a kind of pleasant place to, to have your lunch or just hang out. Um, we looked at uh, an apiary and a solar farm, uh, a number of things, just to get people thinking about the potential for these sites. Uh, and we and we also gave a number of statistics on if we did these things, what the outcomes would be. So. You know, 67 percent of residents live within a 10 minute walk of a gas station, but only 62 percent of residents live within a 10 minute walk of a park. So having any of these things that proximate, it it, it dramatically increases accessibility of green space uh, to to people in Los Angeles. And I I think that's the critical and, and key difference between living in L.A. and living in, you know, really any other city, major city in the U.S., uh, we're. I, I was surprised in our research to find out that we're ranked 49th in, uh, according to the Trust for Public Land, in in park access across the, the the United States, and that to give you just a sense of scale, you know, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, every other major city, in uh, Seattle, I mean, you you name it, every other major city, they fall into the top 10, and it's not that Los Angeles doesn't have parks. We have tons and tons of land that that is beautiful we all know we, we all hike in that land it's the, the way it's distributed right it our 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 parks are all really aggregated uh, in and around the state of Monica Mountains, the Hollywood hills and it's it's not a, it's not so easy for most people to walk to a park uh, where they can you know just enjoy some some green space and and some space really I think that that is probably the biggest potential improvement to people's lives to, to your typical Los Angeles uh, life and, and kind of daily experience. One of the things that was amazing to me was we took a map of uh, from, from the Trust for Public Land, which actually shows uh, a microgrid of Los Angeles. And it shows the areas that are the most park needy, you know, the ones that are furthest away from access to green space. And if you overlay that with a map of where gas stations are located, it's like they're right on top of each other. Wow. Yeah. And so it's it's, it's like, it's a, you know, you're going from 49th to you even the top 10 where LA should be. Um, so I think that's really the, the biggest potential of, of thinking about urban
0: reforestation. So the second potential use category that yeah, you identified and discussed in the symposium is what's called social infrastructure, which encompasses some of the more uh, recreational and i 'd say fun possibilities of future gas stations. what do you mean by social infrastructure and what what was discussed uh, in that category?
1: Social infrastructure really is kind of all the stuff that gives us a reason to interact and uh, to get to know your neighbors and to uh, you know, improve communities uh, that are public resources, that we, we desperately need. So places where people can farm collaboratively, uh, we have those in Los Angeles, but having them in a place that is uh, walkable, uh, that's I think something that's a, that's a major improvement. We talked about uh, pools. Interesting thing about pools that came up, and, and this will come up in housing again, is that you have to dig out a bunch of soil. In a way, that's like the easiest way to remediate is to export soil, uh, to take the contaminated soil and export it. So if you're doing that anyway, it's not always a good idea to export soil off of a site, but if you're gonna do it anyway, uh, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone there. Um, the same thing goes for residential uh, underground parking garages. If, if that's something that you need to do for a dense site, then you're going a long way towards remediation uh, by exporting that contaminated soil. We also talked about the potential for microgrids. Uh, which to me is hugely interesting. Uh, it's this idea that um, you know we have our urban grid and it makes sense to do some things at that scale. So power, sewer, all of those kind of infrastructural things that happen at the urban scale. And then you have the kind of residential scale and you see a lot of people putting in solar panels. Uh, there, there, people are starting to collect uh, rainwater. Um, but some of those things don't actually make a lot of sense at the, at the individual residential scale. So for example, like battery storage and, and even solar power or uh, water storage, if we have places that are local, we can upgrade them to whatever the latest technology is, a lot easier than having to put in technology at, at, at the individual level and having to upgrade that. And so when we talk about sustain- sustainability right now, the conversation happens like, do we do it on this site or do we rely on the grid? And then that way we're always getting kind of the latest and greatest. And so this is a kind of step in between. It's a microgrid, it's a place where there might be some things at the grid scale, that's, it's just too big and it's gonna to take too long to get everyone up to speed. But at the individual level, I'm not gonna be able to afford really significant battery storage nor do I want to maintain it, nor do I want to upgrade it when that new technology continues to come out. And so those kinds of things fall into the social infrastructure as well.
0: So I was reading the materials from your proposal on the third category, which is street reclamation. And I have to confess, there was a word in there, which I had never encountered before and would swear was made up. The word is Wunerf, I believe. Winnerf. Yes. Awesome, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. So can you describe what your ideas for street reclamation look like? And then please edify me as to the meaning of Wunerf.
1: <laughs> street reclamation came out of, uh, you know, these sites in Los Angeles. And there's, there's quite a few of them where we have three or four gas stations on each corner of an intersection. And so especially the ones where we have a gas station on each corner of the intersection, one of our team had this idea, it was a brilliant idea, to uh, gather those sites in the middle, basically aggregate them, and then create a giant roundabout around them. And so rather than having three smaller green spaces, you actually get a pretty substantial chunk that then is uh, has a, a roundabout. And so roundabouts have some traffic benefits in terms of calming traffic in the right situation. And, uh, and then you know you have a, a basically a, a, an opportunity to really aggregate more more land and uh, you know so there, there are those benefits that we thought were really exciting. Um, then you, you get to kind of different scenarios of that. So the first one is the public square, which is a, you know your typical one. We looked at the intersection of Beverly and La Brea uh, and kind of proposed a, a park that could happen right at that at that intersection. Um, so that's, that's the sort of the more generic one. The other one uh, that we looked at is all these places in LA where, you know, our grids, we've got the Spanish and we've got the, um, Jeffersonian grid that runs North South. And when they intersect, you get really funky intersections. And, uh, at those points, that's another kind of opportunity to do this, this kind of same thing is to use a roundabout. Uh, to do traffic calming, the thing about Los Angeles is we're we're very much a gridiron in terms of our city. So that means there's not a lot of hierarchy. There isn't, there aren't those special sites. And you travel to European cities a lot of times, you've got these intersections where there's a there's a plaza, and of course you're going to do something beautiful uh, at, at that location because it's just the street is telling you to do that. And so, starting to do these kind of interventions in the middle of the street, you start to create uh, moments of opportunity, uh, moments of celebration in the city. And that's, you know, the crescendo that, that, you know, our, our, uh, landscape needs in places. So that was the second type is to really look at those, those funky intersections and create green space out of those. And then the third, was the Woonerf that you mentioned. And this concept, Martin Leitner, who, who presented this uh, research with me, uh, and is the he leads our urban design group in in uh, Los Angeles. He turned me on to this idea, and it's it's basically a, a, a it's a model that's been used in Europe. I think it's it's starting to uh, become more popular everywhere else. But it's the idea of a shared street, which, as a pseudo Los Angeles native, we've already talked about that. That terrifies me, right? <laughs> that seems like right chaos. <laughs> but um, the the data of when when these are done is actually quite uh, encouraging in terms of it makes people have to be extremely aware when they're driving. It's slow. It it calms traffic. And the actual number of incidents that occur in these uh, WooNerfs is reduced. So uh, I know it's counterintuitive, um, but essentially it's, it's the street becomes a crosswalk and it's, it's an area where we slow down and and, uh, that street space much like what happens in a ciclovia or a farmer's market is it's open to traffic, but people have to drive very cautiously and very slowly as they go through there.
0: And of course, the final category, which is frankly, uh, no matter the context, always appropriate to finish with is housing. So in addition to describing your ideas for how gas stations might be de- redeveloped into housing, can you just tell us about your realistic expectations about uh, as to how likely we'll be able to see gas stations become, call it multifamily housing, uh, in the future.
1: Before we even got to this point where we did the this kind of little mini World's Fair of ideas uh, to get people to, to kind of imagine what the possibilities were, we actually took a different uh, approach to this, which was, we wanted to inform policy. We were being asked by the mayor's office to look at this, these outcomes, and what we wanted to do is say, "Well, how realistic is it?" Exactly the question you just asked. How realistic is it for these houses, the, these uh, sites, to um, develop as housing, and what else might they become? And and we can't really answer that as urban designers and architects. What we can do though is we invite all of our friends and have a big. You know, kind of mini conversation about it and and share that as as our presentation. So, we did this whole thing where we planned out uh, kind of a role playing game. We got the idea from actually a radio lab. Basically, a group of Washington insiders did a game simulation, like a war game simulation, of what would happen if then President Trump refused to acknowledge the outcome of the vote. And when we heard that, we thought, well, can we do the same thing around these sites and create two scenarios one where there's subsidies for remediation and another where there aren't any subsidies and and see what happens what 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 happens in that conversation so we we had this whole engagement we invited um, a few uh, policymakers we invited some developers to the table and and these aren't um, I have to admit they weren't like your typical developers they're they're people who they're civic minded developers um, so We had this whole engagement around what would happen. We had we looked at sites that were high density urban sites. We looked at suburban sites. Uh, We had other people playing the roles of activists and community members. And I have to say the outcome, uh, it didn't vary, very much. We had housing developed on the developers pushed for housing and they had housing developed on, I think, 75 percent of the sites that we looked at and policymakers it was incredible to develop the game. And then we watched the pros come in, the policymakers just sit back and rely on existing policy. And the developers come in and rely on just their ability to, to um, bring people together around certain things. And watched watched it happen. It didn't take much at all. We, it was like very little intervention. And next thing you knew, there was housing on 75%. They were kind of mixed-use housing uh, on 75% of the sites.
0: So j- just to close, uh, before we started the interview, uh, you were telling me a little bit about how the idea came about, and you referenced the World's Fair, and I found that really interesting. What was the tie to the World's Fair, and and how does it uh, how did it play into the symposium as you're thinking about gas station repurposing?
1: Well, there was this, there was this moment after we did this kind of role playing uh, thing that I was talking about, where we looked at the future of these sites, where we sat back after that and and really. We looked at the the outcome, which was more of the same, and we thought, what we'd really love to see are more of the of this kind of green spaces and other interesting uses, and and it just seems like such an opportunity for Los Angeles to reinvent itself. How how do you how do you promote those kind of outcomes? And uh, and then we started thinking about this idea of a time in Los Angeles where there was really great optimism and interest in the development of the city and the future. Um, you know, we all think about the kind of the world's fairs of the 30s and 30s through 50s, and the kind of posters that you see. And there's always this very like utopian vision of the car and the car whizzing above in the skyway. And so we started to look at that, and and you know, like what drove that kind of spirit of uh, optimism for the future and urbanism, interest in urbanism, uh, because we were we were thinking what well, if we could if we could do that again somehow um here that's what we really need we need to capture that kind of uh, optimism for the future and the potential for these sites and what I, what i found was incredibly interesting uh, was that a lot of that work was sponsored by the automotive industry um you know there was a, a really there were a few really famous exhibits one is futurama at the 1939 world's fair you know, you see these images of people sitting around a giant model and they're looking at streets and everything's interconnected and they're just fascinated. And you're just like, how can this be? I can't even imagine that as being a, a, a source of entertainment for people today. But it was something that captured people's imagination. And then I found out that that was, that was actually GM's Futurama, uh, that they they were a big part of sponsoring a lot of these visions of the future. And so for better or for worse, I think that the takeaway is, there was intentional move, investment and energy that was put into getting people to embrace the auto into our city and imagine it in a positive way. And I think that's exactly the kind of thing that we need to do now, except we need to look at, at the, what, is, what is next for Los Angeles. And maybe it needs to be driven by interests that are public interests, not necessarily uh, commercially driven. And so I, that's what I think the the best thing that c- that's coming out of this is that Christopher Hawthorne and, and this stuff is coming out of the mayor's office. Um, and so it's really about thinking thinking about this in a way that puts people at the center of of this vision for the future.
0: Jan Krimsky, it was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure too. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to CitySpeak with Max Masuda-Farkas. CitySpeak is produced in partnership with Urbanized Media with music and sound production by Greg Gordon-Smith and Source Code Creative Media. Be sure to visit urbanized.city, now featuring commercial real estate news in Atlanta, Austin, Chicago, Detroit, L.A., and New York.